You are listening to Women Leading Prevention Science, where we host candid conversations with some of the most accomplished women in the prevention science field. I am Jasmine Ramirez, a counseling psychology doctoral student and a research associate at the University of Oregon. As I move through my early years as a prevention scientist, it is an honor to speak with these inspiring female leaders in the field. This podcast was developed as part of the NIH Helping End Addiction Long-Term Initiative, or the HEAL Prevention Cooperative. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and not the official views of the NIH, the NIH HEAL Initiative, NIDA, or the participating institutions and organizations. Today, I'll be talking with Dr. Marina Tuushams and Dr. Yang Yang. We will be discussing milestones in their careers that eventually led them to prevention science, specifically their work with justice-impacted youth. Let's get started. Thank you both so much for joining me today. Marina, would you mind introducing yourself and your current work? Hi, Jasmine. Thank you so much for having us today. This is really exciting. Um, I'm Dr. Marina Tulu-Shams. I am professor and vice chair for community engagement, outreach, and advocacy at the University of California, San Francisco in our Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences. And I've been involved in the area of prevention science and research um, around mental health, substance use, sexual reproductive health needs of young people who are diverted from the juvenile legal system. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Young, can you do the same? Sure. Uh, my name is Yang Yang. I'm a research scientist at Texas Christian University. Um, I'm trained as an experimental psychologist, and I have been. Uh, I started my career as a researcher in intervention research, and then gradually uh, work with uh, people in uh, justice-involved justice settings. And right now, I actually work with um, justice-involved youth in uh, prevention research. You both had very interesting trajectories that really led you to prevention science. Um, can you share those stories with us today? I grew up as a child um, in when HIV and AIDS uh, arrived to the US in California. And um, so the topic of HIV prevention was very, very much on my mind. And the idea of, um, as, a, as a teenager, the idea of how we think about preventing people, whether it's young people or adults, um, from contracting HIV and other sexually transmitted infections um, really became a focus for me. And that's actually where I started my work was in adolescent HIV prevention, um, both research and also working directly. I'm a clinical psychologist now specializing in children and adolescents and families. But And at that time, um, I was also pursuing opportunities to work with young people directly, educating them about sexual uh, and reproductive health in the context of adolescent HIV prevention. And then later on in my career, that started to expand um, and extend to prevention in other areas like around mental health and substance use and with um, justice impacted youth and families. Yeah, so really prevention on this very specific topic that eventually started to broaden out. And it seems like a lot of contextual factors really played a role um, in the beginning of your journey. 
those experiences that you have in terms of your neighborhood, your culture, your family. I'm um, from an immigrant family. Um, my background is Iranian. We immigrated here during the revolution in 1979. Um, I grew up in a bilingual household. I saw like the effects of what it meant to actually um, have to come over to another country and place with really nothing and watch what my family did to build their identity. And, and why that's relevant here is because um, it directly impacts access to care, prevention of health illness, mental health illness. So those kinds of formative experiences that we have that we bring to this work, you know, it really does um, of create our passions, our commitments, our trajectories, it influences us. That was really my moment of um, really making the commitment to work with young people and families who came into contact with the justice system for the first time to prevent them from continuing on um, in that trajectory. Dr. Young, would you like to share a little bit about your story? Sure. I came to uh, United States in 2010 as an international student and uh, to work towards my PhD degree. When I started my master's degree in China, and uh, I was very interested in psychopathology, especially developmental psychopathology and the cognitive dysfunctioning. And then uh, I was working on my master's degree, and uh, my mentor received a grant from the government looking at anti-drug use foundation. And then looking at the psychological functioning of adults involved in justice settings. So I was part of the, um, the research team working on that project. And at that time, I met uh, a lot of individuals with high risk and high needs. And uh, so I started my career really as a researcher in intervention side of this spectrum. That's how I got started. I started looking into a lot of uh, surveys and instruments developed by Texas Christian University, the research team over there. And then that's how I came here and pursued my uh, PhD degree at uh, TCU, continue my uh, research career. Young and Marina shared the experiences that clarified for them that prevention was the field of study they wanted to pursue. Young was working as an assistant professor doing research on health risk behaviors among college students. Marina was a junior in high school and was given an English assignment that led her to examine the death penalty. I'm wondering, was there an event, um, an experience, or what some people call an aha moment um, that really just crystallized your decision to be a prevention scientist. I have been always working with people in legal system, uh, started with adults and then young adults, and then in the women and women with special needs. And but at that time, all the research or the focus heavily was on intervention part of the spectrum. Upon graduate, I got a tenure track assistant professor position at University of Louisiana Lafayette. And I started working with college students as well. And part of the research project I was involved in is to look at their health risk behaviors. And then I realized, I learned that a lot of uh, college students also start to experiment substances. They just try, started to experiment that. And then at the same time, I also work with people in the justice settings and the substance use 
uh, problems or the, they have high treatment needs in substance use. So I compare college students to individuals in the legal system. And then I try to see differences between those two populations. And then I just realized the college students started experimenting substances and maybe uh, it will be more cost effective, also more efficient if we can start work with people who just started experimental substances before they go further along on the trajectory of substance use. Maybe we should start work pre-addiction or at the beginning. And then, so that's like my aha moment. And it will be more cost-effective and more efficient if we could start prevention at the very early stage of the trajectory. My aha moment was actually when I was in high school. Um, so I was in my junior year English class. Um, I had an incredible English teacher. And um, and. He, one of the assignments was called an eye search. So the idea was it was a play on words, right? So I search, like I'm searching inside of me to answer a question that I really am burning to know the answer to. So we were told to ask a question about something we really wanted to know about. And so while my friends were asking, you know, um, some of them asked about like, what's it like to own your own business? One asked, what's it like to be a protester growing up in the Bay Area? My question was, how could anybody be an executioner? I couldn't really understand how anybody like could willfully put someone to death. It was really my first exposure to the scientific process too, right? Ask a question. Now you're going to start doing some data collection, right? And some of that might be in existing literature or newspapers or, um, cause at that time, I hate to say it, the internet had not yet happened. And, um, and what ended up happening was it ended up being an incredible exploration about the death penalty and people who are on the death penalty. And um, so I connected with an incredible journalist named Michael Kroll, very famous in San Francisco Chronicle and San Francisco Examiner. He started, he was part of the Northern California Coalition to abolish the death penalty. And he said to me, you need to meet and interview someone who was on death row previously. And at 15 years old, I met um, this man who was previously on death row. And during the late 70s, when the Supreme Court upheld the, the death penalty as unconstitutional, he went through a series of appeals and was released. And I met him for deep dish pizza at Zachary's Pizza. And I convinced my parents. And I got there with my little uh, audio recorder, which was not digital at the time. And in a very crowded restaurant, this man so generously shared with me his entire life trajectory. And when I heard what his childhood was like around trauma, around kinship care, right? Being taken care of uh, by his relatives about how he was a very successful ballet dancer, but then that didn't fit in with the neighborhood and the culture of gangs and his friends and how he struggled about choosing between the two of them. And then how he ended up being in the incident that landed him in San Quentin. And all I could think about, and I remember this so vividly, was like, what if, what if something else had been available? What if there was opportunity to prevent any of that from occurring and most certainly him landing in the prison system. And he, he is now 
and completely active involved member of society. And so from that point on, I really decided like, I have to figure out how to prevent young people from entering into the juvenile legal system, juvenile court system. That was definitely my aha moment. I have so much gratitude for the privilege of being able to hear that story and connecting with that person. Changed, it, it changed me. Young and Marina describe the research they are conducting on the effectiveness of an intervention aimed at preventing substance use among youth between the ages of 15 and 18 who are transitioning into their communities after a period of detainment. Young explained that the project's aim is to help youth and their caregivers establish healthy connections and help youth develop communication skills and regulate their emotions. Marina describes how the project implements a novel approach because it uses a trauma intervention to prevent substance use and other co-occurring mental health challenges. Our project is titled uh, Leveraging Safe Adults, LISA, acronym is LISA, and it is a, a project working with uh, youth and their caregivers. So youth who are uh, in post-adjudication facilities and age between 15 and 18 years old at the time of uh, enrollment. We are working with uh, 13 sites in two states to deliver a intervention called trust-based relational intervention. And for the TBRI intervention, we actually has uh, two uh, big stages. The first stage, we call it a primary TBI intervention, which we will deliver to youth and their caregivers while youth are still in the post-adjudicated facility. And the second uh, phase is the uh, in-home coaching, but we call it a family coaching, which is in-home uh, support format. And um, we actually deliver this part to youth and their primary care as well after youth are discharged from the facilities. And for the TBR, we actually have three different components. We have caregiver components during which we teach caregivers the, um, the idea of trauma, how their childhood impact people's relationship with others. And uh, we also teach uh, youth, the, we have the youth and the young adults curriculum to teach youth how to enhance their felt safety, how to express their needs in a more healthy, appropriate way, and how to um, regulate their emotions. We also have a very cool component called nurture groups. During those nurture groups, we actually put, uh, we um, have caregivers and their youth together, and we have all this kind of role play activities to practice TBI strategies. The ultimate goal is to establish uh, connection, increase youth feel safety, and help youth rec regulate their emotions. There are several aspects to this project that are just really, really novel. One is that, you know, this is about and addressing trauma directly. I'm appalled by the lack of trauma interventions to prevent substance use and other co-occurring mental health challenges in young people involved in the justice system. And the reason why it's appalling is because all of the data over and over and over, including a lot of our own, show enormously high rates of trauma, symptoms, and exposure at the front door, like very first contact of the system. So what that what does that mean? 
that means that there's tons of untreated trauma from the community, right? And what's the other very high incidence rate? Substance use. And so this project is brilliant in its attempt to use a trauma intervention to actually then prevent substance use and other co-occurring mental health challenges. The other piece is that it's family-based. Family-based intervention and prevention is the gold standard for particularly for those young people and families who've been involved in the juvenile legal system or in contact with it. And then the third piece that is like revolutionary is this idea of changing the system in which these young people legally are mandated to, to adopt these trauma-informed principles as a system in terms of transforming our system. So it's targeting this prevention of opioid use at multiple different levels, um, structurally, system-wise, family-based, and then also individually using trauma intervention for prevention. So it's really, it's such an honor to be part of the project. It's, it's really brilliant. Marina and Young had important advice to give women interested in pursuing a career in prevention science. Marina believes it's important to take risks and not be afraid to ask for advice, and she charges the next generation to fight for prevention. Young encourages young women to find their hero in their field, reach out for advice and guidance, and follow that person to see how they navigate their career. If something is giving you a bit of butterflies in your stomach, that means you should go for it. And if you're not sure, talk to adults, talk to people, talk to friends, talk to community, um, kind of suss it out and, and see what your community thinks. Nine times out of 10, they're going to tell you, oh, absolutely, go for it. Those butterflies in our stomach are really driven by our very active brains that make us nervous. And um, if I hadn't been really nervous and shaking when I walked into that pizza place, I wouldn't have been where I am today. And I was a teenager. So um, I also think that um, the, you know, is to really build a community of other uh, self-identified female scientists and don't be afraid to reach out to those who have careers you think you want to pursue. It's really intimidating to write an email to um, someone who is already an established prevention scientist or a professor or I can tell you that we love to get those emails and I, and sometimes we're not going to respond right away. Sometimes you're going to have to email two or three times. It never bothers us. It's just that we're so inundated with emails and other things that we might miss it. And then the other thing I will just say is always ask for what you need or what you're looking for. So this is a little bit around negotiation, right? But the worst anyone can say is no, that's it. They just say no. But if you don't ask, you can't know. And, um, and if they say no, you just kind of determine, okay, what's your next step, right? Or who else am I going to ask next, right? Um, and we all fall down and scrape our knees. Even those of us who are doing these podcasts where it seems like, oh, we just had this amazing trajectory and now our career and da -da, I fall down and scrape my knees all the time in work, in life. And um, we have to give ourselves grace in that way.
I really like what Dr. Tulu Shams has shared in terms of、uh, her own experience. I think it's very important to talk to people with lived experiences, and、um, try to understand、uh, what are the needs, how to help them. I remember I when I was a student, I was I was thinking. Or how hard it could be to stop using substances. I talked with a lot of people、um, with lived experiences. I learned their their life stories. How many changes I have to、uh, overcome, and how difficult it was to overcome their、uh, challenges. And I learned, oh, it's really there's multiple layers of those whole whole journey. And I also want to share. Sometimes students will、uh, email me like a very, with a very polite tone. They try to see if I'm willing to help them. I remember when I was a student, I sent out、e、carefully wrote email and click on send, and then stare into the screen and think, did I write stuff in appropriate tone or did I do something wrong? I was very very nervous. But but the, on the other side of the screen, people who read the email will say, "Oh, I'm so glad that I can help this student. Let me respond to that email." And so it's just it's just never bothering. And please feel free to reach out to、um, women in the field and ask your questions. And I also want to say, sometimes uh, find uh, your hero. Find a hero. Uh, in your field, is also very will be very helpful as well. Like find find someone who really admire.、Uh, you want to be like that person in ten years, then、um, follow that person and reach out to that person and see if you can talk to this person and then see how it goes. So those will be very helpful as well. I just have to say, I think the the term these days is your shiro. Right, if we're talking about women, and I mean, yeah, so exactly, I love that. Yeah, looking for your, look out for your hero and follow them. What a great piece of guidance. Right now,、uh, at a global level, we are seeing unprecedented rates of mental health concerns, substance use disorders, and overall physical illness,、um, and. There is a tendency, both from a policy perspective and a research perspective and a funding perspective across services, you know, clinical services programs, research, whatever, to focus on like what most imminently needs to be addressed. Right? We have homelessness. Right? We have to address it. It's acute. Or our rotating patients in the emergency rooms. Right? That are going through because we don't have enough beds, and all of that is really, really critical.、Um, that needs to be addressed. But when that when that happens, and in the crisis we are in now, prevention gets lost a lot, and less funding goes toward prevention. And so I just. Want to say to the young people who are listening to this、um, that you are our future, and you are our future prevention. Prevention really matters.、Um, data, you know, may not be for like data are kind of drawn out, right, for prevention. Like we don't see the impacts of prevention in the same way that we do for immediate intervention. But that doesn't take away the necessity of interventions to prevent. Substance use, 
for individuals because the long-term impact of that is huge. And so long-term impact of health and economics on housing, on, on a lot of different factors. And so as we're where we are in history, I just wanted to say that prevention really matters. We need to fight for prevention. We need to continue to do this work. And I encourage young people to really um, think about pursuing this area because it still really, really matters. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. And thank you to our listeners for joining us for Women Leading Prevention Science. We hope you enjoyed this episode and that you'll continue to join us as we host candid conversations with some of the most accomplished women in the prevention science field. We hope you'll share this podcast with your prevention science colleagues and with any young woman you know that may be interested in pursuing a career in science. The HEAL Prevention Cooperative is funded through the NIH HEAL Initiative, an aggressive effort to speed scientific solutions to curb the national opioid public health crisis. The HEAL Prevention Cooperative includes 10 research projects throughout the country and one coordinating center based at RTI International in Research Triangle Park, North Carolina. For more information on the NIH HEAL initiative, please visit heal.nih.gov.